This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you've been following along with us, we have our church devotional book, uh, A Year in Paradise. Every morning you can write, you can read a, a post for the day that's been written by somebody in our church, and uh, it's. I know that it's been encouraging for people. This is the next installment, part three, that starts tomorrow, and um, so go ahead and pick one of those up at the information station. All the proceeds go to the building fund, and um, which you guys like the chairs? It's kind of cool, huh? No, you like the big rows so the families can sit together? No, not really. Okay, thank you. I got my faithful front rowers. I love you guys. Shout out. Hope I don't spit on you today. You got it. All right, now let's uh, let's get into the word today. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so in awe of your goodness towards us, and there's really nothing that we should be worried about, that there really is nothing. We, we should just be in a place of contentment because you care so greatly for us, and even when, when things get difficult, you, you show up and you provide, you take care, you care for us, and God, we just want to have the right perspective. We, we understand that, that, that our actions begin with our thoughts. So we want to have right thinking. We want to think about things correctly. We want to be optimistic about what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our friends and our families' lives. And we thank you, God, that in your word you give us that encouragement that we need to push us in that direction. So, Father, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word. We know that you do. We know that you will. We just also ask that you give us ears to hear what you have to say to your church this morning. Thank you, Father, for our worship team and the ability for us to offer you the fruit of our lips. Thank you, Father, for the studying of your word, that it would be an act of worship, that we would respond in obedience to your word. It wouldn't just be reading or checking off a box, God. We thank you, God, uh, for the tithes and offerings that we give to you. We, we want those to be done in a form of worship, an act of worship. You are so good to us, and we, we pray these things and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It was coming up on the last day of high school. Everybody was milling around, little groups of friends, and we all had our yearbooks. How many of you remember yearbooks? Yeah? Um, well, you know, back in the day, you guys have yearbooks today still? I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah. You still have those old yearbooks? Well, you're having people sign your yearbooks and write cute little things, and there's little hearts and stuff. It's super nice. But most of the things that are written in the yearbook are very similar to or close to a little thing that I wrote down that I remembered, and it goes a little something like this, okay? If you would remember with me, take you back. You're the best. I'm going to miss our time in high school so much. 
Don't ever change. We're going to be friends like this forever. You remember that? You guys ever say that to somebody? I don't think I did, but don't change. Nothing's going to change. Life is going to be the, the same way that it was through high school. How many of you are grateful that your life wasn't the same as high school for the rest of your life? Thank God. Wow. Lord, you are good. I had some friends that I had that, that I was friends with on Facebook. I um, hope I don't talk about social media too much, but they unfriended me when they found out that I had become a pastor. That's how bad I was in high school. They're like, oh, we don't want that guy on our news feed talking about Jesus and stuff. But why do you think it was that maybe you or me or whoever it was that signed the yearbook, why do you think it was that they said, we want this to last forever? Don't change. Let's remain in this type. Why do you think that was? This is why. This is why. Because you were like-minded. You thought about things the same kind of way as they did. There was a connection and, and that didn't want to be lost. You know, of the tens of thousands of couples that we've done marriage counseling with, it's a joke, you can laugh. Um, of, the, of the multitude of people I, I have come in through my office, I sit down and talk to them, and then, you know, the husband starts to talk about what his, his issues are, and then the wife starts, and then the wife's like, well, if, if you're going to share that, then I'm going to share this. And he says, well, if you're going to share that, then I'm going to share that. And I get the whole story. And I didn't even ask. <laughs> I'm like, how you doing? Oh, never mind. I had to take that question away. And this is what I've said. If I said it once, I've said it a million times. You two, you guys are not on the same page. You're living your life for yourself, doing things that make you happy and comfortable. You're living life for yourself, doing things that make you happy and comfortable. And in the disunity of your relationship, that's why your marriage is struggling. You, you, you do not have like-mindedness. In fact, that's the, one of the main reasons that people get divorced is that they're not on the same page anymore. I don't love you anymore. I've fallen out of love. Whatever the excuse is, they're not like-minded. The title of today's message is like-mindedness. And we talked about a couple weeks ago how you should have the same mind as who? VBS answer. You guys nailed it. You should have the same mind as who? Jesus. Have the same kind of mentality, the same kind of thinking. And when you do, you're able to WWJT what would Jesus think? Therefore, you'll be able to do WWJD. You can't do WWJD until you WWJT. You can't do what Jesus would do until you think how Jesus would think. And that was the instructions that we got a couple weeks ago. I'm still impressed with myself every time I do that. You can't do the things that Jesus did until you think the way that Jesus thought. 
And then when you think the way that Jesus thought, it's going to so influence your life that it's, you're going to have other relationships that reflect that. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning in, in Philippians chapter 2. Paul and Timothy thought similarly. They had uh, unity in their mind, in their thinking, because we just came from the section where they thought the way that Jesus thought. Therefore, they did the things that Jesus did, and it was reflected through their lives. I'm going to give you five points this morning because I know you guys love points, and you love taking notes, and it's easier to take notes when you have points to write down, okay? So as we go through these characteristics, I want you to take note of them and jot them down. Chapter 2, starting in verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know this, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. <coughs> but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Looking back at verse 19 again, what's the first thing that Paul says, his intention in sending Timothy? I trust the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. This is what he starts with, and we're going to see a little later, it's what he ends with. His confidence in everything that he does is in the Lord. You make plans, you go here or there, you have vacation coming up or whatever, but every step that you take, every move you make, I'm not going to say it. He knows. He's watching you. He knows what's coming up. Don't be surprised. We're driving up to the church camping trip. We've got like 75 people going up to the middle of nowhere. Gorgeous, beautiful creation. We've got a church bus, right, that, that was donated to us. And we got these faithful guys driving up and they're two hours away from the, the campsite. They've been driving for probably 32 hours straight or something like that. And they get a blowout. On the side of the road, they're stuck on the side of the road. I get a phone call. We got a blowout. No, not a blowout. Not broken down on the side of the road with eight people and all of our food for the weekend. I'm really concerned about you, but can you have somebody send the food, please? We're hungry now. And should we be surprised when stuff happens? I can't believe this happened again. It always happens to me. Listen, God knew that that tire was going to blow out and he knew it was going to be an uncomfortable trip and he knew everything that was going to happen. So do we look at it through the lens of his glory or do we look at it through the lens of our comfort? This is inconvenient. God knows what's going on. He... To, I trust the Lord. My intention is to encourage you, Philippians. It's to send Timothy to you. And I trust that God's going to bring that to fruition. It's hard sometimes. It's hard to be alone. It's difficult to, to be waiting for somebody to come to give that kind of encouragement. But, but Paul says, I trust God to, to meet me in this way. 
One of the things I shared with you guys before, and I, I don't mind sharing it again, is that when we went on our mission trip to Croatia, one of the most amazing things about going on these trips are seeing all of these missionaries that have been serving on the mission field for 10, 15, 20 years. And, and I shared in the first service how a couple of years ago, I was sitting down with the elder that we handed the church over to in Croatia, and we were having a conversation. And I said, hey, start praying now and thinking about what we can do next year, you know, what we can put our hand to, what we can work out, what we can accomplish, because I'm an American and I have to be productive. So start thinking now what we can do. He said, Tim, Tim, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, can we not plan anything next year? I said, what? He said, could you just come over and just plan on hanging out with me? Can we just have coffee? Can we go out and just talk and not have anything on the agenda that we're working out. Because, you know, as much as it's work for us and the team going, it's just as much, if not more, work for them. It's exhausting. We used to host back-to-back -back teams when we were there, and these needy people come over, and this isn't comfortable. This is hard. This is the mission field. Shut your mouth. Suck it up. I didn't say that. I'm pretty nice, generally. But I said, yeah, we can do that. Let's just talk. You know, in the 10 years that Grace and I were on the mission field total, do you know how many times we had somebody come over just to see us? I can count on one hand. I can count on one finger. Just kidding. It was a few more than that. But there's this, this intimacy of relationship with the Philippians and he knows that they need to hear from somebody. He's going to send Timothy. In fact, that's what his intention are. And he's trusting, he's confident that God needs, that God is going to meet that need because of what they need. Now, number one, Paul trusted the Lord. But our real number one, if you're following with our five points, if you're taking notes, here's the real number one. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state. Listen to this, okay? Real quick, listen. Paul knew that if he sent Timothy to the Philippians, that he was going to bring back an encouraging report. Now, you and I both know that there's two kinds of people in the world. There's the kind of people that give you the good news, and there's the kind of people that always want to give you the bad news. And you might see one of those people, and you think, oh man, I've got to, I've got to divert. You know, where can I go? Because I know that if I talk to that person, all I'm going to hear about all the terrible things that are happening in their life, or even their perspective, their, their, their mentality is always negative. I want you to think about the fact that Paul says about Timothy that he could be confident in sending Timothy because he knew that Timothy was going to bring a good report. Does that mean bad things never happen? No, absolutely not. In fact, we know from history that the Philippian church was going through difficult things. But there's always something glorious, even in the midst of the most difficult situations when God is involved. 
you can always expect something good to come from the worst scenarios if you've trusted and submitted your heart completely to the Lord every single time. So you literally never really have a super negative thing to say. You can have a positive thing to say and say, this stinks right now, but man, God is so good and I know that he's going to take care of it. Here's a story that I shared with a few months ago about uh, a messenger. If you remember his name in the Old Testament, his name was Ahimaaz, right? Ahimaaz the Cushite. You remember what Ahimaaz was known for? He was known for delivering good news. King David's son was killed in battle. And Ahimaaz wanted to take him the message. He says, let me go, let me go. And, and he says, no, you're not to go because you are, uh, this message that needs to be delivered, it, it needs to come from somebody else. And he sent the messenger to go give the news to King David that his son was, was, was killed in battle, right? So the, the guys run in to go meet King David. And, and Ahimaaz keeps bothering the commander, saying, let me go, let me go. Let... He's a good, you know, Ahimaaz is a good runner. He's fast, and he likes to deliver the news. And, and finally, he says, fine, just go. Just do all that is in your heart. So he takes off running, and he, he hits the shortcut through the desert, and he passes the other messenger. And as he's getting close to the city, King David has his watchmen out and they're looking for news of the battle and here comes one running. And the messenger says to King David, or the watchman says to King David, it looks as if this runner runs as in the manner of Ahimaaz. That means what? King David says, that means he must be delivering good news. So now King David is expecting good news from Ahimaaz. He comes and he does not only not have good news, his, uh, King David's son is dead, but he doesn't even know how it happened and he can't share that. What does King David say to him? Stand to the side. Why did you rush here to, to tell me that? Paul's confident that Timothy's going to go and give a good report of how Paul's doing, but also when he returns to Paul to give a good report of how the Philippians are doing. Number one, be an encourager. You guys know how nasty things are these days? Bad news everywhere. We've got enough bad news. Don't be influenced so much by the bad news that that's how you look at life and that's what you communicate to others. Because you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the gospel do you know what the gospel is? What is the gospel translated into English? It's the good news. So you've got good news to share. And if your life is, is continually exemplifying what the gospel looks like, then you will be having good news to share with people around you. And let me tell you something. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. He says, Timothy my encourager. I know that he's going to be an encouragement to you. I know he's going to be an encouragement to me and he's going to tell me your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your sake. Number two, if you're taking notes for our five points, number two, Timothy and Paul are like-minded. Like-mindedness cultivates unity. If you are not like-minded, it cultivates discord. 
disunity. If you have the same mind as Christ Jesus, like we talked about two weeks ago, it's going to be a lot easier to uh, be like-minded with your brothers and sisters because we all will have the same mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? We will think the same way. We will treat others the same way. We'll treat each other the way that we're supposed to be treating each other. And you can see, I'm sure you know, what it looks like to be like-minded with people. Paul says that, have this same mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he also says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. He says, Timothy and I are like-minded, and I have nobody else like that. Ever felt like that before? Like that nobody's on the same page as you. It's just super frustrating. And you do find that one person, and it absolutely must be, is best in the Lord. You find that one person that, that just gets you. You know, one of the hardest things about moving back to the United States after we moved back from Eastern Europe was um, I didn't feel like, like I had anybody like-minded. Nobody had gone through the things that, that we'd gone through. I was living in my parents' house in one bedroom with, and on a king-size bed with four kids and my pregnant wife. Cried myself to sleep every night for six months. True story. Ask Grace. Like, what am I doing? What is happening? How did I find myself here? God says, hey, Tim, I've got the big picture. I know what I'm doing. Be like-minded with me. And when you can start to be like-minded with God and say, well, obviously, if I'm here, then you brought me here for a purpose. And if I'm going through this stuff that you know about it, so therefore, I'm going to be, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to receive it. Thank you. Do you know how different my summer, I'm not kidding you either, okay? Remember a few weeks ago, I told you that I'm going to start speaking blessings into the summer instead of curses? I literally would curse the summer here. I'm like, this heat stinks. Curse you, heat. Not like bad word curses. Don't, minds are all in the gutter. I mean, just like talking about like it's too hot. I don't, I, I can't stand it. You know what? I, every time uh, I go outside now, I'm like, man, I love how warm it is all the time, you know? And, and I accidentally, a couple of days ago, I accidentally did it. Like not even purposefully. I was like, oh man, it's kind of nice today. I'm like, Whoa, what's wrong with me? I'm oozing positivity in the middle of the summer in Las Vegas. It's the Holy Spirit. When we change our perspectives, we become like-minded with God, which is the number one thing we should be doing. Man, things start to change. You, you start to be happy. Yeah. You want to be happy? Everybody wants to be happy. You be like-minded with God, I guarantee you'll be happy. Because being like-minded with God means that you're in a place of understanding of what he's bringing you through right now. And that's healthy. He says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Number three, if you're taking notes, number one, encourager. Number two, like-minded. Number three, sincere. He says, 
Timothy will sincerely care for you. You know, I, for me personally, everybody's different. I get it, right? You agree? Everybody's different. I get it. Everybody's different. But for me, one of the things that just rubs me the wrong way is an insincere person. It's like, you know what? Just be real. Just be genuine. Just be who you are. And, and we live in the day and age of insincerity. It's like everything is an act. Everything is, you know what the word for hypocrisy means? It means to put on a show, to put on a mask, and to be somebody you're not. One of the most uh, amazing characteristics in people today, I believe personally for myself, is sincerity. There's no need for apology even. You know, like... And when you're in the Lord, it will be good, right? Your sincerity will be healthy. It's not like gutter mouth sincerity. This is how I feel, glass half empty. It's trusting in who God is, trusting in the season that he has you in right now. I want to be a sincere person. In fact, sometimes I, I'm too sincere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, maybe not. Sometimes I say things that I probably shouldn't say because I just want to be honest. I just want to be genuine. This is who I am. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not trying to trick you into liking me. It's very easy to dislike me. I don't even like me sometimes. Thanks, Tammy. <laughs> I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. There's nothing more disheartening than knowing somebody is helping you or caring for you insincerely, right? They're not doing it for your benefit. They're doing it for their benefit. It's not selflessly motivated. It's selfishly motivated. And they say, I'm going to get something out of this relationship. And when it seems like they're caring, when it seems like they're there meeting a need, in reality, it's for themselves. It's an insincerity. This is a characteristic that's important for us today. We can broadcast all over the whole world that we're happy and we're doing fine and everything's great, but inside we're dying. Be sincere. I have a brother who I won't mention his name. Actually, I have a couple brothers. Um, the, the first, he recently went on social media um, and the reason I talk about social media from time to time is because it's a big part of people's lives. They gauge whether they're happy or not based on if other people are happy or not. It's ridiculous. But there's a brother who went on to social media and he confessed his deepest, darkest sin issue. And he said, I'm doing this and I'm writing a blog so that you all can follow along to keep me accountable. <laughs> like, no, I don't want people to know my deepest, darkest secrets, my deepest, darkest sin. He confessed his sin in a public platform and said, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. I'm like, that dude right there is sincere, and he means it. Another uh, sweet couple, very open about their testimony, very, very 
raw in sharing their failures as a Christian man and woman in their marriage, willing to just say, this is what we did. This is how we failed. This is what happened. And this is how God redeemed our story. Beautiful sincerity. And you know, when we're sincere, when we're willing to confess our sins one to another, God is able to bring a level of healing that we've never experienced before. There's something about connecting, connected to God's word. There's something about confession of sin that demonstrates genuine humility that God brings more of a, a healing to than, than is even possible when we, just, when we just sweep our secret sins under the rug. I believe it's true. We're going to go around the room and, and you guys can each tell me your secret sin next. Maybe after the service. Who will sincerely take care of your state? For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Number four, if you're still following along with me, Timothy was a man. By the way, Timothy's solid guy. You know what I'm saying? Like solid name, solid guy. He's in the Bible. Every Timothy I ever met was good news, solid, yeah. <laughs> Timothy was a man who had his priorities in the right order. You know priorities are a big deal for us. Whether you agree or not, you have priorities. And I challenge the first service. I want to challenge you. Make a list this week, maybe after the service or tomorrow or something, whatever, you know, of your top 10 priorities in life. And be honest. Don't be like, Pastor Tim told me to make a list. So number one, God. Number two, no. For real, write the things that are the most important to you. And then after you're done, take a long, hard look at that list and think about it. Think about if, if that list is, is the proper representation of where your priorities should be. And let me tell you something. If most of the people in the world wrote the list, do you know what would be number one? You guys know. What would be number one? Me. You know, I was told when I was a little boy, I still remember the conversation to this day. I was a little boy. I don't even remember how old I was. Somebody said to me, no matter what, Tim... No matter what happens in life, just make sure you always take care of number one. Do you know who number one is, bud? You are number one. That's what I was told, right? False. Look at what he says here. He says, for all seek their own. What's that mean? They've got themselves in the number one place. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. What did Jesus do? He laid his life down for others. And when we place ourselves on top, number one, we're never going to experience true satisfaction in life. Just write that down <laughs> and read it again later. When we are number one, we are never truly going to understand or realize fulfillment in life. And who is he talking to? Is Paul talking about, or who's he talking about? Is he talking about the world? He's not, is he? Paul's talking about other Christians. This is who he's, who he's talking. He says, for all seek their own. I have no one like-minded like Timothy, solid dude, who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, 
not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Do you know we as Christians, we as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ can elevate and put ourselves into the number one spot when we say that we identify with, we're a disciple of, we're a follower of Jesus Christ who made himself the last? I see it all the time. You know, the... There's a, there's a necessity in our thinking not to belittle ourselves or some false humility, but there's a, there's a process in our thinking and in our list of priorities, how we work through things, how we live our life, that we need to take ourselves from that number one spot and look at the needs of others to help and to serve them. And, and when we do that, we need to do it, as he says, in sincerity so that the good news is represented well through our life. Because we want to be giving people good news because that's what we have received and that's what we have to give. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Number five, what was demonstrated through Paul's life, his character, and not just his character, which would be enough, right? But what does it say? It says his proven character. When you get to know somebody over a period of time and they've proven in their character. And I, I know many of you are, are men and women of character. Some of you are just characters, but we should be going towards seeking God for the development of proven character in our lives. And you can't have proven character until you're proven, <laughs> until you're tested, until you're put through it. So instead of saying, oh, God, why is this happening to me? Say, oh, wow, God is proving character in me so that I can have the quality of character and I could be sincerity, I can be in sincerity, serving others, helping other people. But you know Timothy's proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. His confidence is in the Lord in the beginning and he finishes also with confidence in God. Not only do I want to send Timothy to you, but I also cannot wait to come see you. And I'm going to come. I'm confident of that. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. What's the definition of... of um, I forgot the word. 
What does Jesus say is one of the most valuable things that you can do for your friend? Lay down your life. So him who lays down his life for his friends. Epaphroditus wasn't just willing to love in sincerity, to love in action, in word and in deed, but he was willing to do it even at the cost of his own life. The prophet Agabus in the book of Acts came to Paul and took off his his robe and bound Paul's hands and his feet. And he said, the man whose whose hands and feet are bound are going to be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. And all the elders and people are weeping and telling Paul, don't go to to Jerusalem. And and what does Paul say? What's his response to the, the prophecy and the people urging him not to go? He said, I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem and be bound, but I'm willing to go and die for my Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to go lay down his life for the testimony of Jesus Christ. There are three kinds of people in your lives. I want to identify this morning. All three of these characteristics were found in Epaphroditus, but I actually have three kinds of people that I look at in my life, and I've used this as a tool you know, to identify and, 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 and be thankful for the, the blessed friendships that God's given me. But I break people down into three categories, and I think that we can all do this. And I think Paul did this here, but, but gives all three traits to Epaphroditus. Look at the kind of person Epaphroditus was. He was, number one, my brother, number two, my fellow worker, and number three, a, a fellow soldier. And I have three C's for three different kinds of people in my life. Number one, a confidant. Number two, a constituent. And number three, a comrade. And, and the relationships I have, I look at, you know, this person is, is a fellow brother. It, this person is family. You can't disown family. You can think you do. You can, you can try to, but really, blood is blood. And, and when you're family, you're family. Now, I'm thankful sometimes that, that I have family and that that's just, you know, no matter who they are or how they are or how difficult they can be, that's my family. And that's how I look at people in our church. I look at you guys as family. But family is also the people that, that know you the, the most, right? They know you the best. They've seen you go through everything. Those kinds of people are, for me, confidants that I can share my struggles, my issues, the things that I go through. He said this about Epaphroditus. He says that, that he's my brother. And I would say, for me, that's those kinds of people that I see as confidants. He calls them a fellow worker. I have their constituent. If you look up the definition of constituency, it's, it's one part of a whole. And it could be people that come and go f- through your life. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just like everybody goes through different seasons, right? And sometimes you find yourselves with people and you're just fellow working through life together, going through stuff. And the next season they're gone or whatever. And it's just, you know, they're constituents. Epaphroditus was that kind of person for Paul in that he had come in and out of his life. He, he was willing to die. He got sick to the point of death. But then he sends, and most scholars believe, that he sent Epaphroditus to deliver this message, this letter to the Philippians. He says, this guy is my fellow. You know how you, you, you create different kinds of relationships with people that you work with? 
You know, there's like a special bond co-worker. You either love them or hate them. <laughs> fellow worker. And the third thing he, he calls is he's a and fellow soldier. I like Paul. Paul was described historically as a weak, frail little man. You know, this Jewish guy writing all these letters, probably hunchback. He had problems with his eyes. They were continually weeping because he had an issue with his eyes. Probably the issue that he says, I cried out three times to God to deliver me from this thorn in my flesh. A a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. I cried out to God three times and God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness because of his frailty. And then I see here, he's identifying as a warrior. He says, my fellow soldier, we're in a battle together. When you go to war with somebody as a comrade, there's another deeper connection that you have with them. I look at going through life as a warrior. You know, my last name is Warholic. I really like that last name. I didn't even give it to myself. My dad gave it to me. Because his dad gave it to him, very unique last name. I would like to, I would like to think of myself as a warrior, you know? I'm going to start doing push-ups starting today so I could look like a warrior. But we are warriors in the sense that you are in a spiritual war. You are in a spiritual battle. You know, I, I had to redo my Wi-Fi at my house. I'm not telling you guys the password, so... Don't even ask. But, but I have this, this, this um, f- from the days of, of, of a young Christian, I had, you know, back in the day when like y- y- you first got emails and they were really creative emails, you know, they're like, uh, I don't know any creative emails right now that I can think of. But, you know, you, you, you came up with funny little things, you know, mine was war, the number four, you are soul, war for your soul which is true, right? And, and that's the name of my Wi-Fi network because I want people who try to steal my Wi-Fi to know that the, the bigger picture is not that they, they're trying to get free internet, but that there's a war going on for their soul. And it's kind of ironic because it's, it's, it's Wi-Fi. It's unseen, you know? There, there's, there's something that, that's there that's happening, which is true for us. There's a battle that we're going through. And as much as we battle against ourselves, which I'm much more prone to talk about, we battle against the flesh. We battle against our process of thinking, our mentality. There's also an otherworldly, so to speak, influence that's trying to get you to give up. That's reaffirming those doubts that you have about yourself that God doesn't even have about you. You ever think about that before? The things that you doubt about yourself, the things that you don't like about yourself, that God doesn't even feel like that way about you. It's either our own selves or an influence, the prince of the air, the principalities of this world that tries to get us going in the wrong direction, the opposite way. We're soldiers, we're warriors. This is who he was to me, Paul says. Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Find people to have, to identify these three things in your life. Christians, friends, find people that you can, that you can confess things to, that you can talk about real stuff with, that you can have a confidant. Find people that you can work hard side by side with. 
Surround yourself with people that, that are willing to go to war with you, that will be your comrade in battle. And to get all of those things, do you know what you have to be? You have to be those things to people in order to have those things from people. You have to be friendly in order to get friends. In order to surround, well, how do I do that? Well, reach out to people in sincerity. Tell them that you care about them and let them know that you'd be willing to go to war with them, that you'd be willing to fight. Because it's not easy, is it? It says that Paphroditus, he longed for them and he was distressed because they had heard he was sick and they were upset. So Epaphroditus was sick and then he found out that the Philippians heard and then he was upset because they were upset. Talk about genuine relationships, right? (laughs) Like, I don't want you to be upset because I was sick. I want to come see you so I can comfort you. Dude's the real deal. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and how much, and hold much me, such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close, close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. There's a, a, a beautiful picture of relationship, interpersonal relationship. And I want you guys to think about those five things in closing. How do we respond? How do we give news? What's our disposition? Are you an encourager or a frustrator? I want you to be an encourager. I want you to look and see the hand of God, His fingerprints in your life, even through the most trying, difficult seasons. Number two, like-minded. Another way to be like-minded is to to ask people what they're minded, what they're thinking, how they're doing. Number three, sincere. Are you functioning, operating in sincerity? Or do we like the way the world does it and just put on a show? I hope no. Number four, priorities. Are you prioritized? I really would love if you guys did make that list too. I know that I can't make you. But I think it would be a good little object lesson for ourselves to make a list of the things that are the most important to us and then ask the Lord, is this true? Is this how it should be? What adjustments do I need to make, God? And then number five, character. Character that's genuine character because it's been proven. Thank you, God, for taking me through the things in my life that I've been through because it's proven character. Even if I cried myself to sleep every night for six months, I learned something about myself and about you, and it showed what you've done, not what I've done, what you've done and how you've taken me through the process. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for potluck Sundays when we can gather together and break bread and have a meal together. And 
almost just like it's the Lord's Supper, having that fellowship and talking. Lord, we, we ask that you would help these things to kind of marinate in our heads for a little bit. These five points that we looked at, having the same mind as you, and then also allowing that to flow out into our relationships with one another, even into our extended family, even into our co-workers, even into the people that we're going to bump into this week. And maybe they won't understand or see uh, proven character, but maybe they can see sincerity in desiring, wanting to help, to lay down our lives to serve others so that people can see you and that you are number one, we're not number one. And you can get all the glory. Bless my brothers and sisters, I pray, Father, this week. Bless them in this beautiful desert summer that we thank you for giving us. We want to honor you with our words and in our thoughts and in our deeds so that we can think like you thought and we can do what you would do. In Jesus' name we pray. No